today on Geekdemine Powers. I think part of it for both of us was that there isn't a lot of Inuit representation in media, in comics. Uh, Vikings get a lot of representation, of course, in, in television. It, you, you go on Netflix and you get recommended four different Viking shows, right? Um, they're very, very popular, but the Inuit have a rich history and um, some very interesting customs. So it feels like it's a, it's a bit of a waste to not have people seeing what could be. Uh, if, we, if we all do the same thing, if we all focus on Vikings, then I think the world is poorer for that. You are listening to Geekdom Empowers, the podcast about people empowered through their geekiness. Welcome back! My name is Guy Hasson and you are listening to Geekdom Empowers. Geekdom Empowers is the podcast that highlights creators and fans in the geek world who do not often get to be highlighted. It's these people, it is us, who make up almost all of the geek world. By talking to each person, by hearing their stories, Geekdom Empowers creates a huge, giant, world-sized quilt of the geeks all around the world. Each person is a story, and together we are one story, one huge geekverse quilt. And our guest today is Dylan Gass, American indie comic book creator who lives in Taiwan and writes about a Native American heroine. And as usual, I really don't want to spoil anything that's coming up. Every person is a story. Every person has a unique story, and that does not cease to amaze me, even though I always know it in advance. So let's just listen. I believe it was in the 70s. Uh, there, was a, uh, there was a monthly digest with um, science, short science fiction stories, and uh, Isaac Asimov was pretty heavily featured there. And uh, that... Um, you don't mean Asimov science fiction magazine. That that might have been the name of it, but honestly, I was so young that I no longer remember the name of the magazine. Okay. Um, but I do remember that all of these stories were very creative, and because they didn't have to have the continuity of uh, comic books, especially with Marvel and DC, and these characters have to be going on for a long time authors were free to do a lot more with their work. And that really stuck with me. And I started getting into more of these short science fiction stories and also short horror stories, uh, things like Outer Limits, yeah. you know, things like Tales from the Crypt. You know, these, these short, these, you could almost call them bite-sized stories. Because there's no continuity, you have a lot more freedom in your work. and mm. That, uh, that was something that I think influenced me going forward as well. Um, the, you know, the comic I'm working on now, Mara, is, it, it is going to be more than one issue, but it's not going to be an ongoing series forever, like Spider-Man or X-Men, because I do want to tell a story and be done with it. And uh, because that's the sort of story I want to read as well. 
of course I love Spider-Man. I love X-Men. My son's name is Logan. You know, I love Wolverine, but uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the sort of story that I want to tell is one that has closure. So while it is a, a bit lengthy, it will end. You, know, you won't be buying this comic forever. I think that's a plus, though. I think that's one of the weaknesses of, of uh, the market. Like one of the two big things, because you all like it's a never-ending story. So as we learn, people can't stay dead, and you know changes how can be reversed, and you can't take anything seriously because everything is short right. uh, term and not that serious. And at the same time, that also you always appeal to to the same age. So like if I bought Spider-Man when I was 15, uh, I'm growing up, but Spider-Man isn't. So it's no longer talking to me. It's talking to a new generation and all the old, you're losing all the all the people who loved Spider-Man and now they can't get it, you know. Now it's not for them. Yeah, that's uh, that's part of why I, I like indie comics in general. You know, I have, um, uh, I've uh, bought and read some uh, indie comics and uh, one of my favorites is uh, Glenn in Monsterland. You know, it's a, it's a, it is a self-contained story. And it is, it, while it is open-ended and it could possibly continue at the end, what we have already is enough. This, this is a story. You don't think, oh, they left it on a cliffhanger. Oh, they didn't give us answers to this or that, you know? And uh, it's, um, it's a very different uh, tone than what I'm writing, but that's the great thing about, uh, you know, the, the indie comics that they are so, they're so much smaller. They don't have any of the reliances on say advertisers or uh, investors that they have to do X, Y, or Z. Some of these are rough around the edges. Some of these are way out of left field, but they're all largely quite unique. Yeah, and there is a story needs an ending. So if you have stories with an ending, everything in the middle means more, but it's a different type of story. And both stories can exist. Uh, So let's climb up the age. So what is the next step in your origin story? Uh, The next step in my origin story, uh, I went on to become a software developer. And since I've always been a storyteller, I thought, well, the way to tell stories as a software developer is in creating games. And that was the first time I came up with Stuff Rock Studio. We were going to create a game. And uh, what I found out while doing it is that while a good game can have a good story, many of them do, that's not what makes a game good. You can't just lead people by the nose through your game. That's, that's That's not what video games are about. And that's why that project failed. Um, and what really should have made me make the connection a lot earlier is that I had hired a comic artist to draw the uh, cutscenes for this game, but somehow it didn't immediately click for me that I should be getting into comics. Um, 
it, uh, it, it was a bit of a roundabout process for me in my creative process. I went uh, into novels next, but it just felt like something was missing. It always felt like something was missing when I was doing short stories, when I was doing novels. And finally, when it really hit me was when I was actually watching uh, Logan in the theater with my wife. And Logan, the Daphne movie. Keene, yeah. yeah, the movie. Not Daphne Keene was on scene for the first time. And the way they presented her, you know, animalistic first, uh, that really struck a chord with me. And I I knew I had to do something with this inspiration. So that, uh, you know, there was, there was three things. Hold on. Is it an image? Is it what she did? Is it the way they told the story with her? I think it was how she carried the character. Uh, it was my first time seeing, uh, seeing her on screen. I, I'd never seen any of Daphne King's previous performances. And um, the, the way she interpreted this character, uh, the way she interpreted X-23 is... It, it was uh, a side that I hadn't considered before. Mm -hmm. And they really made her carry the weight of her background with her and slowly evolve into more of a person. And prior to that, well, I mean, anyone who's seen Logan and other superhero movies knows that it really stands out for how much different it is. You know, your typical uh, Marvel universe did not go there. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize prior that it could go there. So that really rekindled my interest in comics again. And I realized that the missing piece was a visual reference. Because however descriptive you are about how morose a character is, if you have a good illustrator who can show the pain in their eyes, it's always going to be more impactful mm -hmm. and more accessible. And I think that's the important point. It's a lot easier to get into comics. Uh, they are, you know, they encourage kids to read. They are something that you can pick up and finish in a relatively short amount of time, which is important to me because, as I said, I have two kids. I don't have a whole lot of free time to uh, consume media. I would love to read more novels, but let's be realistic, right? So comic books are really the way to go there. And if I am this invested in comic books, then... I should really give something back to that community that has given me so much. And that meant what? And that meant that I had to act upon uh, my epiphany. If you realize what you're meant to do and you don't do it, you're the only one to blame. And I didn't want to be the blame for that. 
Well, anyway, I, I have to, I have to like, pause on that. You had an epiphany. Now, you could say, this is my epiphany. I want to do this. Or you can say, I don't want to feel bad that I didn't do it, which are two different things. They are two different things, but um, I was excited about doing this. You know, I finally realized this is where I need to be in my creativity. This is how I need to express my writing. And uh, it's definitely different than any writing I've done prior because uh, when you're writing a comic script, the, uh, the other four senses fall to the wayside. Everything is visual. And while you can represent sounds, of course, you can represent smells, but you represent smells as a character's reaction to the smell rather than describing the smell itself. Uh, similar to taste and tactile, everything comes down to visual because that is your canvas. Okay. So then you started to create which comic book? I started to create Mara. Uh, I, I wrote out the... Um, I wrote out the outline first and I contacted a, an artist I knew because you're in uh, software development, you get contacts who are artists, especially if you're freelancing like I was for a while. And I, I showed her this and she said, well, th this is good, but I don't do fantasy work. I only do sci-fi and futuristic, but I can contact some artists I know for you. Well, it turns out she knew a lot of artists. Uh, I, had, uh, I had about 15 emails in my inbox at the end of the day. And uh, none of them were bad. You know, none of the artists were bad. They were all good. But I could only pick one. And uh, I liked Rosie's work the best. Just every, every submission I got, I kept going back to her work. Because I thought that was the one that most suited what I wanted to express on a page. And why did you pick, like, why did you pick that subject of a story? Let's talk about the story itself and then why. Okay. Um, yeah. the, um, the subject of the story, I think, really culminates uh, a fair number of my uh, prior influences. Uh, Mara herself wasn't a hero at the start, and she just gained her powers in a desperate situation, and she was never meant to be a hero. I mean, even, uh, even the wolf spirit Amaro said, uh, she isn't the best of us, but she is the last of us, and she just had this, this power she wasn't prepared to receive, and to me, that, that, that was... Uh, Peter Parker coming out from my previous influences. Um, the world itself was definitely inspired by Dungeons and Dragons. It is uh, similar to the Dark Sun setting where it's a, it's a very arid world and there's a metal shortage and the, the gods are few and far between. 
the um, the the tribe itself, the rain tribe. Uh, those are those are inspired. Oh, say that slowly. Rain. Rain is the name of her tribe. Um, they they were inspired by the real life of Vikings and Inuit. Yeah. So it's a it's a bit of a combination of the two of them as oh, we interpret it based on their surroundings because those are both uh, cold weather people, but her world is not a cold weather world. Um, and uh, I think um, initially I was leaning more into the Viking influence, but when Rosie came on board, she expressed more of the Inuit side and we decided to go that route because I found it added more to the story and presentation of the story, the way she had interpreted. Does she have Inuit background? Uh, no, Rosie is from Taiwan. Um, but um, I think uh, I think part of it for both of us was that there isn't a lot of Inuit representation in media, in comics. Uh, Vikings get a lot of representation, of course, and in television, it, you, you go on Netflix and you get recommended for different Viking shows, right? Um, they're very, very popular, but the Inuit have a rich history and um, some very interesting customs so it feels like it's a it's a bit of a waste to not have people seeing what could be uh, if we if we all do the same thing if we all focus on Vikings then I think the world is poorer for that you know uh, diversity in any media really just makes things better for everyone, for the consumers, for the creators, because you ha just have so much more to work with and so much more to see. Okay. And I also saw that, you know, now that we talked, uh, there is an image much like the X-23 uh, idea in, in the first uh, issue. Right. That's um, that was when uh, when we were working on that when Rosie was drawing, uh, that did come up. You know that clip. We reviewed that clip and we talked about how to express this when um, you know when they first see her uh, with her wolf eyes properly for the first time because she did have the transformation but it wasn't immediately apparent how that would affect her. Uh, and then we decided to really show how animalistic she'd become using, using that first fight scene as a reference. And have you been getting, how, how did you get this to people? Like the first one, was it kickstarted or was it? Uh, no, we, um, we actually have been releasing it as a webcomic uh, for free at first, because um, I think that's, that's 
Well, I talked about accessibility before of comics and web comics are very, very accessible. Anybody can just go to the website and do it. Uh, we are planning a Kickstarter to take this to print because some people will always prefer to have a print copy. But um, the uh, as far as making money off the comic goes, I don't make money off the comic. I do this because this is a passion project and I, I love doing this. Uh, if I were to make money off of the comic, it would go into making more comics. Yeah, I, I, you know, I've talked to enough uh, indie, uh, uh, you know, comic book creators that to know that this is it isn't about money and this isn't where right. you make money. So my main question was to, to see the process of, because people, some of the people who are listening are people who want to create, uh, say, mm -hmm. comic books, and they, you know, would like to hear the process of how you went about it. So, so basically, you've either financed it or you did it uh, together, and then you had, uh, you put it on the web, like as a webcomic, and what was the reaction of people? Uh, I've, uh, I've seen mostly positive reactions. Uh, of course, not everybody will like everything you do, and everybody has a right to decide that they don't like specific work, and that's fine. But uh, we mostly got positive reactions, and I'm pretty happy about that. The, um, the tabletop RPG crowd likes it a lot, and I guess I shouldn't be too surprised given my influences. Um, and, uh, the, what a lot of people are, uh, noticing is the manga and anime influences because that's, uh, that's Rosie's background in comics is, is, uh, Eastern comics. And I got into them when I met, uh, my wife because she was very into them, um, and of course, while I've been in Taiwan, that's uh, what I have the easiest access to. So what we came up with was a style that was somewhere in between Western comics and manga. And uh, that bridging that gap has really opened up the comic to a lot of different people because some people will be drawn to one style and some people will be drawn to a different style and honestly, for some people, it is going to be a turnoff. They prefer the more realistic proportions, right? And we definitely have uh, anime proportions that some people would call, uh, some people in the uh, miniature painting community would call them heroic proportions. But um, this is where we both decided we wanted to be. Uh, artistically so I think it's better to attempt to make the best thing you can make in your style rather than to try to pander to everyone good and what are you planning now now you're planning well right now we're we're working on the kickstarter for the first uh, issue to go to print and we are continuing to put out the second issue. Um, we initially planned for 20 issues, but we revised that 
planned uh, based on how we're creating them now. They were meant to be all shorter chapters like the first one, but the second one and the ones following it are going to be longer. So there are going to be fewer of them and it's going to be more, um, it's going to be tighter storytelling as well, which means that it's going to end up being 10 issues. But um, I don't believe in having arbitrary limits. The story is as long as it needs to be. And I think that's fine. And what are you doing to promote the Kickstarter? Uh, we, uh, we have been pretty active on social media that regard. And uh, of course, going on uh, podcasts and shows to talk about it. But um, the main thing that we've been doing is social media because it is, it is something that anyone can do. Mm-hmm. And we don't have a huge advertising budget. Uh, I would love to have a huge advertising budget, but that is not realistic. What would you do with a huge advertising budget? Just try to get more people to read it. Because that's, uh, in, in the end, that's what it's about, right? Is it really worth doing something that nobody enjoys? No, not really. Uh, and what I want to do with getting more people to read it is just getting more people to enjoy it. Because uh that's that's really what this is all about for me if there ever comes a time where i'm doing this as my full-time job that would be great but i'm going to continue to do this even if it ever makes a dime yeah i was wondering like sometimes i i know you know we're following your actual journey not your hypothetical journey but you know maybe you have insight about like suppose you had like Fifty thousand dollars, like just to spend on advertising. Like, what, like, would you send? I just ads to target people who are probably be interested in showing images of uh, the thing. Or, or... I would probably uh, target people who were interested in Conan the Barbarian and Princess Mononoke. Hmm. Uh, because uh, this Mara has been described as being somewhere in between those two and I find it hard to disagree with that assessment <laughs> it's uh, you know the wolf and girl trope is the, the popularity is definitely Princess Mononoke and uh, while I wasn't thinking about that while I was writing it it's hard to say that I disagree that that was an influence um, and uh, I, w- I would probably uh, target uh, comic sites in general with this. Um, also talk to uh, people who, who are considered influencers in the, uh, in the comic sphere. And uh, yeah, that, that would be my main uh, use of that much advertising money is to bring it to the people who are already interested in comics because people who aren't interested in comics yeah they might get into it if they see a story they really like but largely you're just screaming into the void yeah it's a good point uh all right so is there anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to mention 
What I would really like to mention is that uh, some people have been asking me, uh, is what, what's going to happen when we finish Mara? And, uh, you know, will you just bow out of the comics industry? But um, I have five scripts sitting in my sitting in my uh, cloud storage right now. And mm -hmm. by the time Mara is finished, I'm probably going to have five more. So if, um, if, if there ever comes a time where I'm doing this full time, then there's just going to be more comics coming out because I feel like, uh, uh, I, I guess this comes back to something that I learned when I was in high school. One of my teachers said, the richest place on earth is a graveyard. Is? A graveyard because of all the ideas buried there. Mm -hmm. uh, none of us know how much time we have. And I guess some of us do, but uh, it ends up being a very short amount of time by the time we learn that. And I don't know how many of my ideas I'm going to be able to get out to the public in my lifetime, but I want to have as much as I can produce to the best of my ability. I would never rush something just to get it out. Uh, if I publish something, even if it's poorly received, it's something that I thought was good. So that's, uh, that's really what I want to do is just get as much of my fiction and it is all fiction. I don't have any, uh, I don't have any real life or any historical stories as much of my fiction out there as I can because I'm never going to stop writing. So I might as well never stop showing it. Thank you so much to Dylan. You can find all of Dylan's links in the show notes. Now, next time, because there's always a next time, we're going to talk to the founder of the Yuri Khan community and we're going to talk a lot about Yuri Manga. See you then. If you don't know what that is, wait till next time. Now, what did you think about this episode? Email me, guy.hasson, that's H-A-S-S-O-N, at geekdominpowers.com. The website is geekdominpowers.com on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. The handle is at geekdominpowers on YouTube. Search for geekdominpowers. If you want to check out my other podcast, the Squash Buckle Diaries podcast, uh, it's an experiment in fantasy about a girl living in her father's dream and we follow her from birth to death. Check that out. It is daily. The Squash Buckler dies. I will see you next time. And for now, have an empowered day.